And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trott is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. And Doug, I... Rumor has it you got to witness one of the most bizarre blown saves in history this weekend thanks to the pitch clock. We'll get to the details later in the show. I just want you to confirm this, though. Is it true that game inspired you to invent yet another scorecard symbol? I did. Uh, Yes, I had to go inspired by the, you know, it felt like I was inventing something, you know, maybe like plastic or something. I was like a moment came all together so uh the chemistry yeah just uh, yeah became a tupperware genius in a moment so that's it and then it came together so i want to reveal this for our show as uh you know one of the many new terms that have come about because of the pitch clock uh that's that's very exciting for me and and yeah my class is over at uconn we finished i handed all the grades and one of my students came to the game this weekend in Boston. I got to meet his mom for Mother's Day, his brother. He got to meet all his Cardinal, his favorite team. Met Nolan Arenado, met Ali Marmol. It was cool. Wow. So that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, good weekend. All right. So just go to wherever Doug's game is, and you two can meet everybody on both teams. It's great. <laughs> you know, you could have, um, if, if school was still in session, it would have been a tremendous class assignment to have the entire class try to come up with a scorecard symbol for that thing you witnessed, whatever the heck it was. Well, as I said, we'll get back to that one later in our Strange But True segment. But first, we have a really fun show coming up. So let's welcome in this week's special guests. You know, Doug, some of our favorite shows in the history of Starkville haven't involved just one guest stopping to visit us. It's when the whole broadcast team shows up at the Starkville Welcome Center, and then we let them in, and we show them around. <laughs> so here they come. Let's see, following in the footsteps of uh, Kuiper and Kruko, Boog and Deshays, we had Joe Davis and Oral, 
It, Tom McCarthy and Fransky. <laughs> I can't even think of all, but it's the two awesome voices of the Orioles on Masson, Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald. Gentlemen, welcome to Starkville. It sounds like we've followed about 18 different <laughs> broadcast teams. I don't know if that's a good thing. We've finally reached the dregs of baseball broadcasting society. You just better late than never. You just had to better get over 500 before you any time. Starkville is mounted on top of a, a mountain, so we are built. You have to go up a couple of steps there, so. We think of ourselves as kind of like Mount that. Everest, like Rushmore, you know, a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I hope you guys brought crab cakes. I don't see any food <laughs> containers, though, so I guess not. Uh, um, I didn't bring them. I finished them before this. <laughs> I got it right here. I just walked down the street to the lock bar, and I will partake as soon as this is over. <laughs> okay. so I, I'm waiting. But not, I'm you're going to partake but not share. <laughs> All right, that's, a- that's right. I can't share. <laughs> It's not enough to share. I got bad news for you there. So. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to try to bear up under the strain of knowing we will not have crab cakes to get us through this podcast. <laughs> but it's okay because the Orioles are one of the big stories of the year. Um, you know, we do a trivia segment every week. Uh, we'll do one later after you guys leave. But there is a bonus trivia question. See how you guys do. Next to the Rays... What team has the best record in baseball right now? Who wants to guess? I got, I got a pretty good idea. You, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't guess it, but it's true. It's true. Right. It's the Orioles. It's the it's a Baltimore <laughs> Orioles. That's who it is. They nailed this thing. Twenty six and fourteen, after yeah. forty games, and you know it, it's kind of amazing to me. That's a better record after 40 games than the 71 Orioles who had won the World Series and then won another 101 games. Better than the 66 Orioles who won the World Series. Better than the Buck Showalter 2014 Orioles who won the AL East. And yet it feels to me like this team is actually ahead of its ETA or at least the ETA that most people in the game would have projected. I wonder if you guys feel the same way. Ben, did you feel this coming this spring? You know, a lot of people thought with the improvement that we had last year, you know, we we had 83 games last year, 31 game improvement from in 2021. And and a lot of teams do back up when they overachieve or a little bit ahead of schedule. I think most people thought that this team would back up, but, but being in spring training, I felt like this team and it's one of the youngest rosters of baseball it was a validation year for this team in a lot of ways to show all the pundits that, hey, we are for real. We are the Baltimore Orioles. What we did last year was not a joke. We, we are for real. And they showed up with that mindset, I felt like, you know, in spring training. Now, I can't say that I saw 26 and 14 coming, but I really didn't think I saw this team backing up. And I felt like they were going to be even more competitive a year older. As you know, we didn't do a ton in the offseason. Um, a lot of people hoped it and thought that we would, and we didn't do a whole lot, although we had some big pickups and some surprises that I'm sure we'll get to as we go through this. But I really felt like this team could be at least or even better than what they were last year. And so far, it, you know, it's been a perfect storm in a lot of ways. And you guys know baseball like we know baseball. It's It's been one of those perfect storms where when we haven't hit we have pitched it really well and we've won ball games. When we haven't pitched it really well in spurts, our offense has been off the charts in a lot of different ways. And so it's been a perfect storm in that way. That's why the wins are where they are right now. Uh, but this is an exciting team that can beat you a lot of different ways. We had a lot of homers early. 
We're scoring a lot of running games, a lot of runs per game early. And then lately, man, our starting pitchers, which has really been our Achilles heel as of late, have just gone off. I think in our last nine starts, our starting pitchers are picking to an ERA just above two. And so they've really picked it up when our offense has been down a little bit against some really good competition. So it's been a perfect storm in a lot of ways. And and this team's feeling pretty good about themselves right now. Kevin, what about you? Were you surprised at all by what you've seen these last 40 games, first 40 games? I'm a little... I'm a little surprised just because of what Ben said. Usually there's some regression that's baked into the year after an overachieving team. And I think the Vegas projections and fan graphs projections and projection systems generally have this team winning somewhere around 75, 77 games. And the one thing that concerned me going into the year was not the lineup, which has been detailed is, is young and is really deep. Um, it was the bullpen. The Earl's bullpen was terrific last year. One of the best in baseball. Nobody got hurt. Felix Bautista came out of nowhere. No major league experience, none. And didn't go on the injured list till the final week of the year. Was one of the better set-up men into closers in baseball. Uh, Brian Baker had one major league game of experience, became a terrific set-up man. Dylan Tate had been up and down a little bit, became a terrific set-up man. Stino Perez was let go by the Reds, or the worst bullpen in baseball, became a terrific set-up man. None of those guys got hurt until Felix the final week of the year. And injury luck is a little bit random, right? So you go into this season, the Orioles are already down Dylan Tate, and they're already down Michael Gibbons. And coming into the year, you look at the bullpen and you say, it's already not as deep. It's already more banged up. Can you rely on the same pitchers from last year to do the things they did last year when they didn't have much experience? And how are you going to survive with a lack of depth? Enter Yenier Cano, who's the best reliever in Major League Baseball, who was one of the worst pitchers we saw last year. Um, Bautista's been just as good. Brian Baker's been just as good. The Orioles traded for Danny Coulomb before the year, a pitcher I don't think we'd ever seen who bounced around for a while. He's been one of the best pitchers in the league at avoiding hard contact and been kind of a lefty shutdown man. And as we sit here and record this, uh, the Orioles have the second best bullpen ERA in baseball. Uh, I didn't think the bullpen could be as good as it was this year, and it's actually been much better. Well, guys, can you speak to the culture of, you know, there's all those elements we talked about where the data says, okay, you know, here's where we are, and we know it can fluctuate over a season. But you talk about leadership and management and and just how that might have flowed through something that might have surprised you and how they actually approached the game. Well, I, look, I think Brandon Hyde deserves a lot of the credit for this. It's a Let's be honest, and, and Dougie, you've been there. It, it's a team that got kicked around. I mean, you go back to 18, and these young guys lost 115 games. We lose 108 games in 2019. Then you get the truncated season in 20. Then we lose 110 games in 21. So it's a lot of players that got, quite frankly, knocked down and beat on and showed up last year basically saying – we are tired of getting pushed around. We are tired of being everybody's punching bag, and we're going to start to punch back. And we saw it last year. We saw a couple of our guys get hit by pitches. And in years past, they would just kind of get down to first base, wouldn't say anything, wouldn't be any retaliation, wouldn't be nothing said. Last year, early in the year, our guys started getting hit by pitches. There was a words to be said. And at times, there might have been some retaliation. But anyway, it was a team that was saying, okay, we're not going to get punched on anymore. We're, we're not going to be – 
that team anymore. And they started punching back in a lot of ways. And they got off to a pretty good start. April was a little bit off last year, but then they began to win, and they had a long winning streak mixed in there. And these young guys really just came of age. And, look, I think Mike Elias has pushed all the right buttons. We have the number one minor league system in all of baseball right now. He said he's done what he said he was going to do five years ago, and he said, I'm going to build this program back up from the ground floor forward. He did that with the draft picks, brought in his own scouts, did it his way. And if there's anybody, if this thing ever goes sideways, he's got nobody to blame but himself. But I like that about him because he said, I'm going to do it my way. This is a blueprint that I took from the Astros when I was assistant GM. I know how we helped build the Astros up. We're going to do the same thing with the Orioles. They have done that to this point. And the Meyer League system is fantastic. Obviously, getting Adley Rushman was a difference maker. You get Rushman and Henderson in the same draft. I mean, who would have thought that? I mean, two going to be stars. Although Henderson struggled a little bit right now. But, guys, he's 21 years old and should be a, could be a junior at the University of Auburn right now. And he's playing third base at the big league level. So it's going to happen for him you know, in a lot of ways. But I, I think Hyder deserves a lot of credit for this. I think our young nucleus of Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes, who went through the, the downturns in all this, you know, now you got Henderson and Rutschman and Rios. Mateo is off a little bit right now. But look, guys, he's a superstar at shortstop. There's no doubt. I mean, he covers some ground at the shortstop position. So, look, it's a fun team that believes it can win now. And it believes it belongs with the best teams in baseball. And we're in a stretch right now where it's difficult, right? I mean, I think we started a stretch about nine games ago where our next 22 games were against teams above 500. We're holding our head above water right now, which is what they needed to do. Well, you got an easy one tonight with Shohei. That should be no problem. <laughs> hey, Ben, that's a perfect segue way you just laid this out to talk about Adley Rushman because since the day he showed up in your town, which is I think it's a year ago next week, right? The Orioles are 93-68. and 68. Uh, it's a better record than the Yankees. It's a better record than the Rays. Better than the Phillies, Padres, Twins, Brewers. I'm trying to remember all these teams. Um, how would you define the Adley effect? And, and not just on the players around him, but on the whole franchise. Kevin, what do you think? Well, uh, I'll say that the 162 games before Adley got here, the Orioles were 51 and 111. That's a little different. <laughs> so that's that's a little different right there. Uh, they've gone from minus 306 in the previous 162 to, to plus 48 when he's been here. I I think he is somebody that that fits the culture perfectly. Like the Orioles got lucky in a sense when when Mike Elias took over, they got lucky because not every draft class has an Adley Rushman. Um, and 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 Ben, you're you're aware of this as somebody who covers college baseball and somebody who was the only number one pick in Orioles franchise history before Adley Rushman. It's not often you get somebody with the kind of athletic gifts, with the kind of IQ, and the kind of character that Adley Rushman has. His maturity, you kind of forget that he's not 36 years old. Uh, he works with pitchers that are younger than him. He works with pitchers that are 10 years older than him. And any pitcher you talk to, from Grayson Rodriguez at 23 up to Kyle Gibson at 35, will rave about his control of the staff, his game preparation, his ability to call pitches, which is something he's still even getting better at. His pitch framing has been terrific. His pitch blocking, great last year. A little bit down early this year, you're getting a lot better the last month or so. And then his approach at the plate is just very mature. Um, 
I think a team takes on often the personality of its best player. And even though at least 25, and even though he's not one of the quote unquote veterans, his maturity and his quiet confidence, it extends throughout that clubhouse. Uh, It's a very, very close knit team, especially with the young players. But I think there's a calm and a confidence. Even when he was struggling the first couple of weeks, he came up, he didn't have an RBI for two weeks. He really never looked phased. And I think that's one of the things been alluded to with this team. They're they're so young, they almost don't know any better. They are unfazed. And I think a lot of that comes from Adley Rutschman. You know, though, I think Adley needs to develop a little better eye for the strike zone. <laughs> He's on pace this year for, on pace for 130 walks and 101 strikeouts. Yeah. And I don't know if you're ready for a fun fact, but I always have a few of those on hand. <laughs> I can only find three catchers in the last 50 years who had more walks than strikeouts in a season in which they walked 100 times. The last one was 30 years ago. Darren Dalton. Uh, Gene Tennis did it in 1977. And the only one who did it with this many more walks than whiffs was Daryl Porter, who was 1979. So... Ben, how incredible is that for a guy playing his first full season in the big leagues? Uh, it's obviously way advanced. And, and, you know, I was lucky enough to see him at Oregon State and see him twice at the College World Series. And I saw him his freshman year, and I said, this guy can catch right now in the big leagues. I think the bat needs a little bit of time. Uh, but he can defensively, he can defend right now at the big league level. That's how what I thought of him his freshman year. Then I see him two years later when Oregon State wins the national championship – and the bat has caught up to the defensive skills, and it was bat-to-ball skills and a very good understanding of the strike zone. But then you start to go, okay, that's college ball. What would it be like in pro ball? And all of a sudden, he starts kind of ripping through the minor leagues, and the numbers are the same. And the bat-to-ball skills, the understanding of the strike zone, all those swing decisions, the new things that we say today, was off the charts. And then you get to the big league level, and you go, well, it really can't be that good at the big league level. I mean, nobody does that, right? I mean, it really, okay, it's going to back up a little bit. It hasn't backed up. It's gone forward, if anything. And it's just amazing his understanding and his eye of the strike zone. And, look, he just recently went through a rough a rough span. He was 0 for 19, which doesn't happen very often for him. Of course, he came out of it with a big two-run homer, and he's been hot the last couple of games since then. But he is not fades, and that's what I love about him. And Kevin mentioned this. When he first got to the big leagues last year, rough start offensively for the first couple of weeks. It was slow. But – he is a young guy that was able to separate what he does on defense and offense. And although he wasn't hitting and performing at the plate, walking a little bit, but it never phased what he does behind home plate. Puts down all the right fingers, pushes all the right buttons, whatever you want to call it right now. Uh, really good. And I'll tell you a funny story. You guys might know this, but I saw him at Oregon State. And of course, it's rah-rah in the college ball game or whatever. And, you know, they'd come off the field and he'd high-five the, the you know, high-five the, the pitcher at the line or whatever. And I went, oh, that's cool. It's college ball. I used to do that too. But he won't do that at the big league level. We don't play that game at the big league level, right? Well, all of a sudden, Jordan Lyles is on the bump last year. And Jordan Lyles is 35 years old and opens up for the Orioles. And first inning, he punches somebody out. There goes Adley, meets him at the line, <laughs> high five. You know, I mean, that, that, that's just who he is, you know. And he uh, he's a quiet leader. I'm going to tell you guys, I played seven years with Cal Ripken Jr. here in Baltimore. That's who he reminds wow. me of, the way he takes care of business. It's a quiet leadership. It's confident. He's not the guy standing up, raising hell in the dugout all the time, screaming and hollering. That's not who he is. He leads by example, like Rip led a lot by example. I see a lot in Rip in Adley Rutschman right now. Well, oh, that's 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 uh, 
That's amazing. I mean, clearly the right fit. I mean, I think the one thing that I always will remember about him is, I don't know if you could walk us through this, but the first time he debuted, you remember he stood at home plate and looked up in the stands and took it all in. Um, I thought that I played that for my kids because I just wanted them to see <laughs> like this journey and then they get yeah. there. And even though this guy's a major leaguer and this has all this hoopla around him, he took the moment. So is there an appreciation aspect of of Adley that we don't know about or just how does this manifest itself on a day-to-day basis of just the fact that he also seems to be very appreciative of where he is and the opportunity in front of him. Um, I'll start with you, Kev. Yeah, I just, that, that told me a lot. I remember that one vividly, his first night, getting behind home plate, taking the mask off, just looking around the park. I don't think I've seen anybody do that before. He, he handles himself with such calmness. And and then I think about everything he has to do. He's got a hit left-handed and right-handed. <laughs> he's got a game plan because he's behind the plate almost every night. He's played literally every game. He's pinch hitting a couple. He's DH in a couple. But he has not missed a game through 40 games. Wow. Um, he has to catch. He has to block balls. You have to control the running game, which is harder now with the new rules. So he has to do as much as – Literally any player does offensively and defensively. And one of the things the Orioles have have done that I think has really helped last year, they had Robinson Chirinos did not have a great year, right? Offensively, not a very good hitter, but somebody who could be a big league coach tomorrow. If he wanted incredibly well-respected 10 years of service time in the league, he hit last year. This year, the Orioles have James McCann who hit his 800th major league game the other day. And so, for whatever little Adley has needed to learn, and he's learned a lot from his dad, who's an incredible catching coach. Um, he's been around catchers that know the game, that know the league, that know pitching staffs. And he seems like somebody who handles some things um, well on his own, but by osmosis, by being around those two, I mean, they'll talk about the the incredible leader he is already, Torinos and McCann. Uh, but he's learned, and the Orioles didn't get some young backup catcher in, the young athletic guy. They got players that know the league, that know how to teach young catchers, that could both be coaches someday. But I think that's helped, too. I think that's a testament to how much they value Adley Rutschman is we're going to bring in somebody that's going to fit with you and going to fill in whatever gaps you may need as you grow in the majors. All right, here's another guy that I am mesmerized by, Yinyar Cano. Did I pronounce that right, Kevin? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yenyer Cano. That the, sounds uh, way better than what I told <laughs> so I think you did good. Let's see. All right. Let, you, you, it's not yet. It's like there's sort of a tilde on this. Well, let's hear Ben pronounce it. I'll just call it. I just, I just call it when he comes in. I said it's time for the Kenosha. That's what I said. Right. And a, a show, a show. It has been. I can. Promise. I know. I got some more fun facts if you're interested. <laughs> so he. Yeah. Okay. He's faced sixty-one hitters this year. Four, four of the sixty-one have gotten a hit. Four. And by the way, he hasn't walked any of them. Right? So his whip yeah. for this season is zero point two zero. It's a base runner every five innings like, is that good yeah seems good yeah, look it's it's like i can't believe it like i i cannot believe what i'm watching yeah. right now because i remember it's been a long time but i remember how hard the game was and i watched this guy come in i'm going i'm looking around going like 
Is it? Am I dreaming? Are people watching? Are you seeing what's going on out there? And look, the crazy thing is, is we brought him up on a. I think it was a Sunday uh, playing the White Sox. It was a close ball game. We were up, and Hyder had nobody else. <laughs> like the bullpen was spent. There was nobody down there available, but Yen here to know. And Hyder brings him in. I don't think Hyder thought he could do the job. It was like hell. This is all I've got. So. Get on out there and let's see what you can do for the first time. And he just absolutely shoves. And we're looking around going, this is not the guy that we saw. And look, I got some numbers for you. 13 appearances last year versus – now, he's had two appearances since I wrote these numbers right. down, or maybe one. But 13 appearances last year, 13 appearances this year, same amount of innings, 18 innings. He gave up 26 hits last year <laughs> in 18 innings. At the time I wrote this, he'd given up three. Right. He gave up tw- 23 earned <laughs> runs in 18 innings last year, and in 18 this, this year, none. He walked 16 guys in 18 innings last year, in 18 innings this year, none, with the same amount of strikeouts of 21. And so there were people thought, and I'm going to raise my hand high, this offseason I'm going, why is Yan Yir Cano on our 40-man roster? Why My hand is he is also raised to be <laughs> like, like I had it as I had it as high as I could get it. And, and all, but but Michael Lyons, they saw something in this guy. And look, when we saw him last year, look, it was a bowling ball sinker. Like it was 95, 96, which so yeah, like you don't want to do, but he could throw it nowhere near the zone. Nice change up, but nowhere near the zone. And he, he gave up an unbelievable amount of hits. And all of a sudden, dude, like he's He's the best thing in baseball right now, and he's kind of quietly somehow flying under the radar. I don't know how, but I can tell you who do, do, does know about him, and that's the hitters, because they don't want anything to do with him right now. Yeah, he's the most dominating reliever in baseball, and he didn't even make the team coming out of spring training. And it was, it but was his spring was better. It, it was, was his split. His spring was a step forward. It really was. But nobody, nobody saw this. Right. Stuff. So I, I tried nobody. to find some precedent for this. <laughs> Any pitcher in history who had a span of 15 games with no more than four hits plus walks with this many batters faced. You know how many guys I found who have done that? None ever in history. Uh, Brett Cecil, he, he came the closest. He had two hits and three walks. Uh, I looked at Mariano. His best was five hits and one walk. Dennis Eckersley hijacked five hits and one walk. And again, he's a guy, the league had a 956 OPS against him. And now he's this. Who deserves the credit for this, for just leaning into that, that bowling ball two sinker the way they have? Yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard question because I've asked you yet about this after this first few addicts, I said, Hey, what are you doing differently than last year? And he said, it was really a simple mechanical adjustment. He worked with Chris Holt and Darren Holmes who were the Oriole pitching coaches and Ryan Klemek, who's the Orioles director of pitching strategy deserves credit too. But he said, all he really did was just change the position of the front shoulder, keep the front shoulder closed a little bit more, which sounds insane because when you look at his numbers last year to this year, you would have thought, he must be throwing left-handed, <laughs> right? He must have developed eight fingers and a brand-new pitch. But the velocity and the movement's pretty similar to last year. Um, he's just throwing strikes. I know that sounds really simplistic, and it sounds almost insanely simplistic, but all he said to me is, I just messed a little bit with the front shoulder, made a couple of little mechanical tweaks, and 
Maybe, he hasn't thrown like this consistently for that long. Um, he did tell me that he used to throw over the top and sidearm. And then in 2020, he was at the Twins alternate site and was just messing around with this sidearm, weird arm angle pitch. And the pitch really moved. And one of the Twins coaches said, well, what the hell was that? And they went over and took a look at the data on it. And they said, you're throwing this way from now on. So maybe it's just he only needed – you know, so many reps of consistency from that arm angle to get there, but it is insane. Uh, and though I, I just, I'm mesmerized by those numbers you pulled. I can't believe nobody's ever done this. And here's this guy who was the 40th player on the 40 man roster, you know, for a bullpen that had a couple of guys hurt to start the year. And he, we didn't even think of his name. I forgot he was in the organization <laughs> until he was called up. I couldn't even say his name. I mean, all I all I could get was Cano out, you know. And so, but I mean, look, the Orioles have a history of this the last couple of years. And KB touched on it earlier. You know, CNL Perez really couldn't throw strikes. The Orioles got him dialed in. Bautista ends up being the closer for us last year. Really couldn't throw strikes. Matter of fact, he was in A ball the year before. In in 2021, Bautista started in A ball and that ended up being the closer to big league level. He couldn't throw strikes either. Uh, and so the Orioles have done a really good job with some. If you want to call them prospects and, you know, if you want to call them whatever you want to call them guys that they wanted to kind of see if they could fix, they've been able to fix some guys. And Yenier Cano is one of those. And it was a pretty simple fix. And you guys know how it is. Once you have a little bit of success and you can see him, look, he went from a guy last year. Now y'all seen him like he's striking a pose. Now dude. Like he's punching <laughs> guys out and standing them out like this. And he's looking at them last year. You didn't see that. And even early in the year this year, when he had success, he wasn't doing that, but the confidence has gone through the roof for him. And now when he steps on the bump, dude, he just believes that he's fixing to dominate, dominate he has. Yeah. Now, can you talk about the division? You know, we're looking at this, you know, I, I did the uh, Red Sox Cardinals yesterday or this past weekend, and I'm looking at the AL East and you get to the bottom. And then if you keep going, you find the American League Central. <laughs> so, 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 I'm, so what has it been like? Just like, you know, if you look at the division, I mean, what do you see and in, in where this kind of new Orioles team fits in? And we know where they're ranked but just based on like what you've seen across the league and, and the expectations. Yeah. I, I don't know yet only because we've seen the Red Sox six times, the Yankees only three times, the Rays only three times. And as of this recording, the Orioles have not played the Blue Jays, but I can tell you, I don't think there is any team in major league baseball out of the 30 teams that was happier to see the schedule changes this year than the Orioles and the other American league East teams are probably two through five, but the division is, it's absurd. You know, Boston um, up and down, the Orioles should have taken two or three, that first series they had a drop fly ball that cost them a game. They won two or three, the second series, that Boston lineup is loaded. Adam Duvall was seemingly on his way to American league MVP the first two weeks before he got hurt. Uh, Yoshida's hit the Orioles really well. Verdugo's been terrific. Devers is always terrific. Red Sox are starting to pitch. Their bullpen's deeper. The Yankees, I assume at some point, will get healthier. Uh, we just got to look at the Rays. The Orioles beat them two out of three. The Rays starting pitching is the one thing that kind of worries me, how many guys are dropping for them. Rasmussen is out now. But the thing that has stood out, and I think Brandon Hyde has always talked about this in the American League. Yes, the bats are good. The starters are good, frontline starters. Great back-end bullpens. You trail – by a run going to the seventh inning against the Rays, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, you're probably going to lose the game. They're probably going to get nine outs without giving out a run. And now 
the Orioles feel like that team because they have Bautista in the ninth. They have Cano in the eighth. They have Brian Baker in the seventh. They're going to get Dylan Tate back maybe in the next week in the seventh. So now can the Orioles supplement that with starting pitching? That's going to be the hope moving forward because if they lead after six, the Orioles are going to win the game almost every night. All right, you just touched on this. For the Orioles to make the postseason, are they going to have to add starting pitching at the deadline? That, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think that's what most people think that's going to happen because we have an overabundance now of talent, which is what we wanted in the minor league system, some real prospects uh, that can do it. For me, that is the answer, right? I, you know, our starting rotation, although it's been a lot better as of late, I think it could use a jolt. I mean, Tyler Wells is a real ace. I mean, he kind of flying under the radar in a lot of ways. I think he leads all of baseball and whip, throws a ton of strikes, six foot eight frame. He was the best starter we had last year until he got hurt after the all-star break. And, uh, you know, I think he's a real stud. I think Grayson Rodriguez is feeling his way in the big leagues at 23 years old right now and trying to be consistent. The stuff is obviously there for him, and I think that is the hopes in a year or two he can become a real number one, a real ace. But uh, I keep going back to that Houston blueprint when some trades were made and you started getting Cole in there and Verlander and players like that, which you don't find those guys obviously laying under a rock in the big leagues all places. But I do feel like there is a trade that's going to happen, and I think if the Orioles are in this thing – still come around the trade deadline. I would not be shocked if some of our prospects went some way and we got, uh, I don't know if it'd be a real number one, but at least a two to three kind of pitcher to go into our rotation, assuming our bullpen continues to do what it does, you know, and, and that's a concern for us because our bullpen has chewed a lot of innings and it chewed a lot of innings last year because our starters were not giving us depth in the ball games and our bullpen, quite frankly, got used up and really wasn't as strong towards the end last year as we were, say, the first four and a half months of the season. And so I think that is a concern. Can our starters give us enough length to be able to do that? I'll say, too, the one magic bullet the Orioles rotation still has left is John Means, who was the Orioles' best pitcher for three years, from 2019 to 21. Two starts last year, Tommy John surgery. Um, and we haven't seen John pitch since. He should be back sometime around July. He was maybe – I don't know what a true number one is anymore, but a frontline starter for those three years and threw a no hitter in 21. And when John Means comes back, that that jolts some life into the rotation. He has been on schedule from the start. So that's one piece that's going to be hopefully almost like a trade when you add somebody like John Means in the middle of the season. But uh, I'm with Ben. It, it is a young rotation. You don't know how many innings Grayson Rodriguez is going to throw. Will Dean Kramer, will Kyle Bradish, will Tyler Wells make it through a full season? That remains to be seen. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Great point. Uh, let, let's turn this conversation a little bit toward the wacky. Um, we, we have a segment on this show called The Strange But True. And I know Kevin's a big fan of The Strange But True. If anybody reads my column, you, you know Kevin Brown contributes to the Weird <laughs> Wild column regularly. So I'm uh, worried I spam you with texts too yeah, often. Yeah, you do. It's, we, we look forward to it. So here's the question for you, my friend. What's the strangest but truest thing that you have seen in an Orioles game this year? <laughs> well, well, the the strangest but truest thing I've seen in an Orioles game has actually nothing to do with statistics or numbers, even though I've sent you a bunch <laughs> of those. The strangest but truest thing I've seen in an Orioles game uh, happened on May fifth, when a thirty-five-year-old father of four held water in his mouth for five minutes without spitting it out. That, that was strange. For people who haven't seen the Orioles this year, um, when the Orioles get a single, a player turns to the dugout and mimes turning on the faucets. When a player gets a home run, they come into the dugout and they drink from an orange and black hose, which has a funnel <laughs> attached to it. It's called the Homer hose. And when they get a double or a triple, they get on base and they mime the sprinkler motion <laughs> at the dugout. And then the starting pitchers or anybody who wants to participate in the top step will take water in their mouths and spit it out like a fountain. This is a weird team right now. A lovely, is there a weird. drought? Is there so like a drought James in Baltimore McCann, or something? There's like some, some water. There, I think so. I think, <laughs> I think we're in a water crisis yeah, here, to be honest. We just keep getting extra base hits. It's a real problem. So James McCann doubles. Um, it's a little ground ball. It sneaks inside first. He runs on Ronald Acuna Jr., that's strange true, and he beats it out. But the play is under review. So we take a shot on Masson of the Orioles' dugout, and four-fifths of the starting rotation is sitting on the top step, and Kyle Gibson is sitting there, and he's got the water in his mouth, and he's ready to spit it out for a double. But the play's been <laughs> so he can't spit it out yet. So there takes, it's a long review. It's a close play. It's about two minutes later. When the review finally comes down, James McCann is safe. By this point, Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, Grayson Rodriguez have all realized what's going on. Their mouths are all filled with water. And James McCann comes back to the dugout for pinch runner. He doesn't notice them. And p- players in the dugout, by rule, this is in the bylaws, <laughs> cannot spit out the water until they're acknowledged by the player who doubled. <laughs> So finally, James McCann goes into the front of the dugout, goes through the entire dugout till he gets to the back, realizes what's happening, does the sprinkler motion, they spin oh it all goodness. over the dugout floor. That that was that was strange but weird um, because you know here's Kyle Gibson who again is 35 years old and a decade in the big leagues and has four kids and is a lovely guy and a very mature human being acting like a 12 year old. That's this Oriole team got it summed up in a nutshell. 35-year-old fathers of four acting like they're 12, spitting water all over their friends in the dugout. All right. Well, 
I mean, since you brought this up, <laughs> I, I can't believe I've waited to this long to ask you this really important question. Probably the most important Orioles question of the day. Kevin, have you met Mr. Splash? <laughs> I don't know if I'm in liberty to say about that, Mr. Splash. His identity is a little murky, right? How about this? I have not met Mr. Splash in his Mr. Splash persona. <laughs> who he is, who he was before this, where he came from, uh, that I'm not in liberty to say. Wow. But I have not met him since he put on the flamingo tube and the floaties and the goggles. Um he apparently, Mr. Splash, was really taking control. You know, I was talking to some folks in our front office who said, oh, we should do this and this for the Splash Zone. Mr. Splash is in charge. It's like a cult now. It's, it's sort of a Mad Max situation. He is just with a lot more water. He is the master of the birdbath now. It is fully his it's domain. It's crazy. As you said, it started out as a home run celebration. And now there is somehow a Splash Zone in left field. And, you know, I'm a fan of hydration. This feels like an all-timer to me. <laughs> and so the next step is you need to do a game from the Splash Zone, don't you? A hundred percent. I have already asked. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to keep score. Um, I think I'm just going to have to shut the scorebook every time there's an extra base right? Or... Maybe do the game under a tarp or something, but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be right, right? You can't we can't do the game under a tarp. We've got to do a game out there, and we've got to just get ready to get wet. <laughs> Hopefully, we do it on the hottest day of the year, and the Orioles get nine extra base hits, and we get cooled off time and again. Uh, but yeah, I'm ready to get out there. I'm ready to be amongst Mister Splash's uh, army of goggle wearing maniacs. What do you think, Ben? Kevin just volunteered you to sit in the splash zone and do a game. Yeah, I'm afraid that's going to happen at some point. There's a lot of talk of it. So I, I'm preparing. I want it to be a little bit warmer. Uh, I have my uh, bucket hat in the in the booth. I got my muscle shirt, my Birdland muscle shirt cut off already. So I'm kind of ready to go. Just need a little sunscreen. I'm just going to go out and enjoy it with the fans out there. Because, look, it's been a hit. And, and, and the fans are playing along with this. You know, I remember opening up this ballpark in, in 92. And I remember telling – and I've always told these players the last three or four years, like – you guys have to experience 46,000 at Camden Yards like we had for the first two years we opened this place up because it is insanely loud because, as you guys know, there's not a whole lot of foul ground. The people sit right on top of you. When you get 45, 46,000 in that place, it is an incredible feeling. I get goosebumps just, just talking about the roar of the crowd. So I, I'm starting to see the fans show back up again. This is a wonderful fan base. Uh, it's starting to sit up and take notice in this young, athletic, fun team. And they're coming back out again, which is a fun thing. Well, have you guys seen uh, some of the legends uh, hanging around from Oriole history? I, I know they are, are really close with their, their legacy. Uh, I guess who's been around? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we see Palmer. I mean, Palmer's oh, yeah. here all the time, yes. you know. And so uh, it's good to have Jim Palmer around. You know, Junior's around. We, Kevin, we see Junior sitting down there. Occasionally. We saw Rick Dempsey, uh, you know, World Series MVP, just a couple of games Yeah, just ago. yesterday. Yeah, just yesterday he was in the house. So good to see that. I think Andy came back last year. Brooks is around a little bit. Brooks came back last year. I haven't seen Brooks this year. Uh, but Andy was back and Brooks was back last year. 
Uh, look, we got Shaq coming in. I mean, he's not an Oreo legend, but he's a legend. We got Shaq coming in soon. That's going to be fun. Looking forward to the largest DJ in the entire world is showing up at Camden Yards. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, no, Shaq's doing a post-game concert, right? Is, oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. And what, right. What's okay? And, remind, and, remind us what, like, what what's his DJ name again? DJ Diesel. Oh yeah, Shaq Diesel. Diesel that's of right. course, that was DJ, his album back in the It could years. be a lot of things. Yeah. Shaq food, DJ Diesel, whatever he wanted. Look, when you're seven foot one, you weigh three hundred fifty pounds. You can be whatever, whoever you want to be. Well, you need to bring back uh, Kevin Costner, Waterworld. Wasn't that a movie that I don't think it did very well? Yeah. But you might as well just it bring did it. Did not do very well. <laughs> but bring it <her> back. <laughs> Better than Titanic. <laughs> sure. Exactly. All right. Before we let you guys go, we have to play America's favorite game, Know Your Broadcast hmm. Partner Trivia. It's fun to oh, play. Gosh. It's easy to play. Are you guys ready? Is there a theme song for this? Know Your Broadcast Partner. <laughs> like an insurance commercial. Man, you're going to get the first question on Kevin. Who, Perfect. Who else on this podcast attended Kevin Brown's college graduation from Syracuse in 2011. Was it Doug? Was it me? Or was it our producer, the mayor, the man wearing the Syracuse cap, Tim <laughs> McMaster? I would have ben, to go. Was it, was it you? No, was it you? <laughs> I, look, I stay as far away from school as I can, obviously. Um, I, I gotta. I mean, Tim's got the Syracuse hat on, so it, it had to be him, didn't it? It did not have to be him. It was actually <laughs> me, because my daughter also graduated that day. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, I, I don't know how many other people that you do these shows with have ever witnessed your college graduation. I was there, Kevin. Nice. Do you remember it? And here's the because I hardly do. I, I do remember it. Here's the crazy thing. Okay, you know, we're doing this show, and you know, every day you get uh, somebody like you get this message from I don't even know who this is from. Is it i iPhoto or uh, Microsoft or whatever? But it says it's your memories from the day. Mm -hmm. You know what popped up during this podcast was photos. Of that graduation day. Oh yeah, perfect. That is oh. weird. That is weird and wild. That's weird. That's weird and wild. <laughs> right. So that was a trick question. We foiled Ben with a trick question. So now we're going to turn to Kevin. We got one for you. I'd like to pre-submit my answer, and the answer is Alex. <laughs> it's a good guess, but it's not relevant to the question. Okay. okay so okay. Ben McDonald, first pick in the draft, nineteen eighty-nine. Finished his career with 20.8 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference, over those nine seasons in the big leagues. So here you go. It's multiple choice. Which number one overall pick has the most wins above replacement from this group? Is it Ben or is it A, Dansby Swanson, B, Pat Burrell, or C, uh, Phil Nevin, who will be managing the Angels team, the Orioles will face tonight. Ooh, oh, wow, man. that's a good one. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so telling you right now, you gave you gave KB too much time because he's already Google. <laughs> no cheating. No, 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 my no, my hands are here. <laughs> we have cameras now. This is more than I'm, audio, right? <laughs> I'm googling with my feet. I don't, I don't, th I don't think Dansby Swanson's played long enough. I'm going to eliminate him. Um. 
boy, Phil Nevin played, what, 16 years in the big leagues? Pat Burrell probably had a lot of offensive war, but I'm not sure how he graded out defensively. Um, and then and then maybe you're trying to trick me and say it's Ben. I'm going to go with Phil Nevin. Oh, do we have a do we have one of those buzzers when you get it wrong? Where's our producer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with it Pat was Burrell. Ben, of course. Uh, <laughs> ah, Pat no. Burrell, 18.9. Dansby's at 16.7. Phil Nevin, 15.9. So... Oh, good. So this is wrong. <laughs> we, we, we fool them both. <laughs> they spend every night oh, together. Way, I hate this segment. That is, that that is, is terrible. Don't, don't make a jingle. That is the first time Kevin Brown has been wrong the entire year. I just want y'all to know that. We're going to knock on wood for the Orioles. We're going to knock on wood over. I'm knocking right, right now. Uh, all right, let's go with that. Kevin Brown never wrong until he was. <laughs> that's like our trivia hey, show. The perfect game. That's our trivia anyway. That's what we do. We were on a roll that's this good. year, though. We were. Once upon a time, we were. We were. Yeah, we were. Uh, hey, guys, th- th- this was awesome. I love watching and listening to you both. I know Doug shares that. So l- see you down the road, uh, maybe yeah. even in the splash zone. What do you think? Yeah. Come on out. Come on out and hang out with us in the splash zone. About July, it's to be 100 degrees here, 100% humidity. Just just put – look, we'll borrow one of Jim Palmer's Speedos from back <laughs> We used to do underwear commercials. <laughs> Then we'll all go hang out in the splash zone. How about that? Attendance will be booming that night. I guarantee. <laughs> uh, bring, bring some gators. Just pour some gators in the splash zone. Spice it up we'll, a little bit. We'll do that. We'll get everybody hopping around a little bit. That's right. That's right. Tremendous. Hey, guys, thank you so much. See you soon. Okay, it's that time again. It's time for listener trivia. Our way of involving you, our favorite listeners, in this show. And Doug, I feel like we've kind of become the pirates of trivia. You know, we were unbeatable for a while there until we weren't unbeatable. <laughs> so can you feel the pressure mounting? Uh, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. America depends on us to be the Ken Jennings of baseball trivia. It's not, That part's not going that well. I feel like we're letting America down. Yeah, well, you know, we, uh, we, right now we're in the wild card spot, so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, we'll have to make an acquisition come trade deadline uh, where we trade for each other and give each other you know, sort of a brain swap. But uh, I feel good. I think we're in good shape. I think we're going to take this. Yeah, I think we actually have a shot at this week's question. Uh, on the other hand, I've thought that before. We know how that worked out. But let's find out, okay? Let's welcome mm-hmm. in this week's special trivia guest. It is Grant Schiller. Grant, yes. welcome to Starkville. Hey, thank you. Excited to be on. We're very right. excited that you are on. Um, always like to start by asking where you're from, what team you pull for. Yeah, I'm from Dallas, uh, Rangers fan, so I'm sure Doug remembers. I was seven years old when he was here and uh, got his autograph back in the day, so I'm sure that, wow. that made a big impression on Doug. No oh, man. Good day, man. I appreciate that. That was, that was a good year. That's where my hair was growing to epic proportions, so I, I remember it fondly. <laughs> yes. You know, hair gel dripped on the autograph or anything, right? <laughs> no, no, no. It was it all was natural. Clean. It was like a forest. I had a forest on my head. And <laughs> Dusty made me cut it, though. I remember. It's come up. Yep. Uh, so Grant did something that we enjoy and we encourage. Uh, he emailed us his question. In fact, he actually emailed us multiple questions to choose from. Ooh, so yeah. Grant, were you shocked to learn we actually read these emails? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, uh, you know, Tim's very diligent, clearly. That's right. Yes, he is. Uh, we couldn't do it without Tim. 
Um, all right. Well, as we we just said, I think we have a shot at this. So let's do it. Grant, why don't you hit us with your question? Yeah. So multiple Cy Youngs are obviously impressive, but the longer the time span can kind of show a pitcher's peak. So there are six pitchers who have won Cy Young awards at least seven years apart. Can you name four of them? All right. So uh, first off, obviously you've been listening to this show a lot because you seem like you know that six answers is way <laughs> over the Glanville line. So Doug, is four okay? We get four of the six, or is even that too many? Yeah, well, two for three. I like the the chances there. I mean, you know, <laughs> base hit to right. Yeah, I, I could work with that. Four out of six. Right. Uh, I, just I think we can get four. But I we think have to, we can. So and so, just clarifying, it's a span of like earliest or some group of right. Cy Young because right. they could win so one. Like, they could win some, one in between though. The span. Right. Yes. Yeah, so right. fir- this is from first to last. First to last. Right. Okay. Or, or okay. One to the. All right. Okay. So got it. Okay. And just but and and. Grant, you should know that even though we're only going to guess, we only need to get four. Glanville thinks we should be allowed to guess six. Mm, is that okay. cheating? I think it is, but it seemed like we did get away with it. Well, at least we're not doing you're, double. You're, we used to double the guesses. He would get six. That and was I would total get six. cheating. We did, I, I, I did away with that one. This is about as this is about as much as we can push it and still not get arrested by the trivia police. <laughs> Okay, so all right, let let Doug. I think we can do this. Okay, let's get the easy ones out of the way. Oh, there's easy ones. Uh, I think there's easy ones. Okay. Roger Clemens obviously okay. did it. Steve Carlton, uh, you should remember well from your days as a big Phillies fan, did it. Uh, Justin Verlander, I'm almost certain, has done it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I pretty much, I'm pretty much sure that those three did, and. If we guess three more, we should be able to get one. <laughs> okay, I hope. so I don't know. I don't know. I, my list: Clayton Kershaw feels like he has to be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought about all the guys with three Cy Youngs, or even more than that: Randy Johnson, yep. Seaver, mm-hmm. Palmer, mm. Scherzer. Doug, who's on your list? Wow, I'm just writing this down. And uh, the good news: I have uh, similar names. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, Palmer, yeah. Cy Youngs. Well, you're very good at knowing like who's had multiple three, you know, three or four, maybe even Cy Youngs. Yeah, I did that research. Yeah, you. This is more your county. Cy Young was in the '50s, right? So, it, you know, when it first. Uh, wait. This, oh, when the Cy Young started, or started, when Cy yeah. Young pitched? Yeah, no, when his Cy Young started the award. <laughs> Cy Young pitched in the 1850s. Yeah. No, there was no Cy Young before the '50s, and there was only one in each league. Okay. All right. So yeah, it seems modern. So now, what about really what about our dream team like Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, those guys? Did Smoltz they... only won one. Okay. Um, Maddox, I feel like his were more concentrated. Um, he won as a Cub, and then went to the Braves. He won those two in a row. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like he didn't do it over seven years, but we're going to guess 18 guys anyway, so we'll okay. put him down. Who, who, who do you like here? Yeah, well, I like, the, you know, I, I mean, Carlton I love. I, I don't want to get that wrong, so I'm going to throw him in there. Uh, Clemens, right. Verlander, Kershaw. Whew. Yeah, doesn't Kershaw feel like he has to be right? Seems like it. He's been around forever. He's got a one seven years. That is pretty amazing. Scherzer is interesting. When did he win? Like, Because he won in... He won in what, 2014 in Detroit. So yeah. win seven years apart. 20, 
2020. The Grant, summer. would it have to be, well, or would short... he have to win again in 21 or 20? Yes, Who that's correct. It? Yeah. 21. He has yes. to win in 21. Okay, and... I don't think he did it then. Who won in 20? He, he might have won. <laughs> Trevor Bauer won in 20. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate to, hate to mention that. Okay, curse. Well, yeah, all right. So, Randy Johnson, Tom Seaver I had on my list here. Jim Palmer, pitch forever, one team. Yeah. Whew. I don't know here. I'm looking at my list. Bob Gibson? Yeah, I gave you three. What about Bob Gibson? I don't think he did it seven years apart. Okay. Necro? Necro pitched for like 37 years, right? Did he win any awards? Uh, didn't win. Hershiser? Didn't win multiple Cy Youngs. Hershiser did, did not win multiple Cy Youngs. I try to do it by decade. Okay. You know, try to think it through in my head. Right. And I, I think we, we've got the list. All right. You know, all the guys we've mentioned are the list. It's just picking out who we're, who we're going right. to guess. So all let's right, do so, that. All right. We're going to go Clemens, Carlton, Verlander, Kershaw. Kershaw. Yeah, I like that. That's Randy. Fun. Like Randy won with the Mariners, and then he was still winning with the Diamondbacks. All right. We'll stick with that. And then... The Chilling one? Palmer? Seaver? What about... Who? Kurt Schilling. Did S- win? It's Kurt... Shelly was three-time runner-up. Runner-up, okay. That's so we're not we're, we're not going to guess guys just because you played with them. Seaver. <laughs> um, okay, we're, we've right, got so, Clemens, Carlton, Verlander, Kershaw, Randy Johnson. Just pick one more. All right, we, so Tom Seaver or Jim Palmer. Yeah. Um, all right, so Seaver. One <laughs> Reds. Just pick one. Matt, so what team was he on? 69. Was he on the 69 Mets? He had to be. All right. Tom, terrific. And then he went to the Reds, the big red machine. All right, I'm going to say Seaver. What do you uh, think? Okay, so I think this is our guess. Grant, you ready? Yep. Roger Clemens, Steve Carlton, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, Randy Johnson, Tom Seaver. Yes. All right, that is correct. By the skin of your teeth, you got four exactly. Woo! We got four. All right, so, so you're going to have to reveal who yes. are the four. So Roger Clemens obviously has the biggest gap uh, from 86 yes. to 04. Um, then Verlander and Carlton are correct. The fourth one was Randy Johnson, 95 and 02. Um, okay. Of the others, Tom Glavin, Doug mentioned, he was 91 Ooh. and 98. And Roy Halladay oh, was off the table in 03 and 10. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I forgot that Halliday's Cy Young with Toronto was that early on. So yeah, I, I skipped Toronto no, years. So no Kershaw. Doug, you kind of talked me into that. That sounded good, though. I was texting like pre-show. And, uh, and no Seaver. Huh? Seaver was six years apart, along with Gaylord Perry. Oh, Gaylord Perry. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, I knew there was going to be somebody in there that didn't win that many that we were going to miss. So, but, I th- hey, I think we got it right, right? Yeah, like, hey, that's a win. Isn't it true? Well, oh, and we uh, let's bring the mayor in here. I think very we, cool. We what we got four in a row wrong before this. Does that sound right? Yeah, no, you had four Sarah. four in a row right, and then four in a row wrong. You guys are streaky. What? <laughs> I, thought, I thought we had like four ten in, in a row, row right, four in a row wrong. Uh, so are that we, means we're going to get the next three right. I like this. Wait, wait I thought I like we got. It. I thought we got Sarah Langs. Did we get that one right? We did not no, get it right. You were close. I will say overall yeah. in the years of this podcast, the many, many years, this is by far the best season. I mean, it could by all far. go awry, but so far, you certainly the best. It was the best April. 
<laughs> and spring training. Yeah, spring training. Good. Don't yeah. forget spring training. All right, let's celebrate. Because right. now it's yeah. time for the best part of the segment, the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville. You heard him, Tim McMaster, to play another one of his fabulous play-by-play clips involving this week's answer. Tim. What do you got? Great choices here. Yeah, great choices. Um, I was trying to go with one of the really long um, times between Cy Youngs, but then I thought about like best performances, and I decided that we had to go with Roy Halladay because in 2010, the second Cy Young season for Halladay, he happened to pitch the 20th perfect game in baseball history. Here we go. Yeah. Holds it in front of the letters. Nods yes. The wind. The one-two pitch. Swinging a ground ball left side. Castro's got it. Spins. Throws. Yeah. He got him. A perfect game for Roy Halladay. 27 up and 27 down. Halladay is mobbed at the mound as the Phillies celebrate perfection tonight in Miami. They stream out of the bullpen from the left field line and they mob Halladay to the right of the mound. Roy Halladay has retired all 27 Marlins. 11 strikeouts for Roy Halladay. He becomes only the second Philly ever to throw a perfect game. And he is the 20th in Major League history to turn the feet. That was Fransky on the radio. Of course, Fransky and McCarthy, both friends of the podcast, and they both (laughs) nailed the call. But I went with Fransky because it was a little more descriptive of the moment. Fantastic call by Scott Fransky, as always. As always. So, I actually, I have a funny story about that game. We're not going to tell it here, but it was a crazy night. I did write about that game. I wasn't at the game. I didn't even see the game, but we'll, we'll do this some other time. <laughs> anyway, I was Grant, on the floor at MLB.com that night and had to produce the highlight. So there you go. We could talk. Oh, yeah. Wow. Pretty good. Not only that, I almost ran out of gas that night. I'm trying to listen to the podcast because I or listened to the no hitter because I couldn't stop for gas because I was a no hitter going on. So anyway, uh, Grant, that was a tremendous question. Yeah, um, a lot of fun. Love getting Steve so, Carlton answers in there too. That that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, thanks for emailing us. Please come back again sometime. Yeah, thanks, y'all. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Strange but true. You know, Doug, there's nothing more exhilarating than when one of us witnesses one of the strange but true classics in person. And this week, that person was you. I am very excited about that. We're going to set the scene and we'll let you take over. Okay. Uh, in fact, we'll, we will also let you reveal your new scorecard symbol inspired by the moment. So this was Saturday night, Red Sox against Cardinals. Red Sox go into the ninth, leading 3-2-1. Cardinals only have three hits all night. Here comes Kenley Jansen. He's been great this year. Just joined the 400 save club. But he also had some issues trying to nail one down the night before. So let's go through through this. Okay. Ninth inning opens. He walks Paul Goldschmidt. I believe it was on four pitches, right? Okay. Then up steps Wilson Contreras. I I, I think I should just let you try to explain what the (laughs) heck happened in the Wilson Contreras at bat. Yeah. I'm still even figuring out, but you know, the context (laughs) is everybody was very concerned about Kenley Jansen's ability to deal with the pitch clock. Because yeah. usually you time him with a sundial. That's how he pitched in the past. <laughs> so there was like, oh, is this, how is this guy going to do it? But he's actually gotten in a pretty good rhythm. He's worked at it. And uh, and so we figured, you know, and, and I talked to Heim Bloom before the game and talked to the Red Sox. And they're like, oh, no, I think it, it's been good. He hasn't had violations. And so there was a lot of positive about this. But unfortunately, this inning did not go well. So uh, So when Wilson Contreras gets in, in the box, I think he throws the first pitch strike. And then he gets his first violation. Now, one of the challenges with the umpires and the communication is they have to sub- signal like, okay, is it a warning? Is it a, you know, do you point to your wrist for a pitch clock? Or there's this thing called quick pitching someone, which is when you don't you don't acknowledge the batter's making eye contact and you're pitching when he's not ready. And the batter has to be there like not, you know, nine seconds to go. So and of course, none of us know any of the symbols. Yeah, perfect. Right. So baseball. Yeah. yeah, it's like what? So we're like, what's going on? Like, and there's no like microphone to say like you know pitch clock violation, quick pitch. So we're thinking it's the pitch clock, but we're looking at the clock and it's not running down. It's like okay, he seemed like there was time left. So Wilson Contreras had put one foot in the box and one foot out of the box, and he was just kind of waiting in this like this almost track stance to see what Jansen was going to do. And at first we're like, is this strategic? So then he'd kind of come in with like nine seconds to go. And Jansen, who's been concentrating about speeding up, has now kind of become a creature of habit of like, all right, I got to get in and get quick. So he pitches and they're like, Ta-da! and you see the umpire come out. Now, <laughs> the first, so the first time it was like he was pointing to his watch. I was like, oh, is that, it was a pitch clock? And then we were confused. And then he does the old Robert De Niro eye contact thing to be like, you got to make eye contact. So I think they gave him a warning. And then right after that, he did it again. So they're like, ball one. <laughs> and then he throws a couple of balls, gets to 3-1. And 
And there's Contreras again, one foot out. And this time, Contreras waits until like, I mean, it had to be like 8.5 seconds. Just about as he was putting his foot in the box, Jansen starts, gets in his delivery. So you can't come set and you can't begin your motion until the hitter is ready. And as soon as you do that, you're rushing the hitter and it's a quick pitch violation. So he literally had a warning, the clock symbol, <laughs> uh, De Niro, and he had two balls and he walks them on. This. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Like, they're no- So nobody's telling us anything. It's like- <laughs> I mean, this is the, this is the, I mean, this isn't even the strange but true part, but it, nobody in the park understands what just happened. Okay. That's Including just, us. It, it makes me laugh that we have, it's like we have this secret game within the game going like, on with, with, uh, it's on national TV. Right, the whole and, world's watching and nobody understands it. No. And a, and a pitching coach, they, the coach goes out, they go to the mound, they're trying to disrupt them. Alex Cora walked, we we're trying to figure out where is Cora on this? And when we talked to Cora, <laughs> The next day, he was like, I should have gone out there. It was my mistake. I should have gone out there. But he ends up beelining to home plate. And I think they just conceded that, you know, it was Jansen's issue. They That it wasn't some confusion of a pitch clock. And he, he they had gone out and spoken to him about it. They warned him and explained it. And he had just gotten into this rhythm. So in between, like, all the warnings, all the violations, Contreras playing this game of, like, let me wait till the last minute, which wasn't really the intended purpose of this. And all the visits, the catcher, pitching coach, everybody on the mound. Then Cora meeting the home plate umpire. He still walks them on the, on the violation. And then I realized yep. I need a new symbol. I don't have a quick pitch. Cl- I don't have. Right, a we're gonna get. We're gonna get. So, we're gonna get to your symbol. Hold on. I, we gotta get to the strange but true part of this. this okay. Let, let me let me explain it. So all that stuff just went on, but he only threw three pitches. <laughs> okay. There's a warning. There was a strike. There was the violation for ball one. Then there were the two actual balls. Then ball four was another violation for, I guess we're calling it a sleepwalk, or maybe we're not. But So it leads to a blown save. It leads to a loss. But if you're adding along at home with us, what did you just learn? Kenley Jansen just walked Wilson Contreras on three pitches, which is supposed to be hard. Here's the really hard part. One of the three pitches was a strike. <laughs> so so I, I reached out to uh, our friend Kenny Jacklin of Baseball Reference and asked if he would look into this for us. I want to know if this was the first blown save ever to include a three-pitch walk. So what Kenny should have said was, leave me alone. But instead, he actually looked this up. So here's what we found out. Uh, it turned out that Emmanuel Classe of the Guardians blew a save on April 3rd and had a three-pitch walk in the inning. But I went, I looked into that. He'd already blown the save at the time he did that. So it's not quite the same thing. But now here's the other part. We've had 15 other three-pitch walks this year. How about that, Doug? There have been 16 walks on three pitches. Not intentional. Unintentional walks. All thanks to the clock. But you know what made this one the strangest, but truest ever? It was the first three-pitch, non-intentional walk in history that also included what? A strike! (laughs) So, so Doug, baseball used to be such a mathematically correct sport. What the heck happened? (laughs) The clock just totally blew that out of the water. I mean, three-pitch walk on a... 
a three one count. I mean, it's just a mess. <laughs> I mean, like, I what is going on? Suppose uh, there have been zombie runners involved. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so Nothing I got to add up. I got to come up with something. I don't have a logo for a quick pitch walk. Uh, yeah. nor, nor this, but I do have a sleepwalk, which is kind of what right. happened. So, that, okay, that, that here's the moment you've all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you're watching on YouTube. Yes. Because Doug is going to reveal his new scorecard symbol <laughs> for a sleepwalk, uh, which he texted me and Tim during the game. However, it turned out that was not even what was called. But <laughs> we, we still need, we need help with this stuff. So, Doug, yeah. show the people how you are now scoring a sleepwalk. Yes, and I, and I hope The Athletic is ready for a billion followers after this viral moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody's yeah. going to look in on it. So so here we go. I, uh, lighting is a little tricky, so I'm going to slide this in here. See that? This is the sleepwalk. Okay, you see you got the clock there back there. Uh, you got the walks because <laughs> they're standing up. You don't want to lay them down because they are still walking. You got going yep. to first with a bunch of Zs here, right? Oh, oh, you got a little, like, gain here. Let me put that back. Oh, there we go. Uh, you, know, you got the bunch of Z's there, sleeping to first. And then, of course, the, the comfortable uh, cap there that you wear at night back in the 1930s. And uh, <laughs> days, days where the sun was the clock, as Bill James told us. Uh, so I think that, that covers it pretty well. Uh, you might not have room to get the cap in there, so the cap is optional. Uh, but I think that covers uh, the sleepwalk, we'll call it, uh, okay. because that's what's happening. You know, so, so nobody swung, nobody was really looking. Uh, so there we go, the sleepwalk. Welcome. Yeah, I love that you got the Marx Brothers sleeping cap in there. Yes. <laughs> Excellent touch. Uh, but just so you know, you think this is just us having some fun with doodling, right? No. We got a note from a fan who attended the same game that I attended last week where Brandon Marsh drew two sleepwalks in this same game. <laughs> yes. uh, and he showed us that he was using the symbol that Doug unveiled two weeks ago for this. <laughs> Doug, how honored are you? Oh, I feel people are actually honored. catching yeah. on to this thing. Yeah, I feel. I think sleepwalk is a is a keeper. You know the term. I gotta I gotta spread it around a little bit more uh, as I do these games. But yeah, I mean it's it makes sense. You know, I mean, we have zombie runners. We have all kind of stuff. So yeah, we're, we got the, the, the it's baseball not looking. Yeah, it's baseball apocalypse <laughs> right now with these clocks. But hey, <laughs> embrace it. We we're embracing it. <laughs> that is for sure. All right, that's gonna do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read my Weird and Wild columns or any of the fantastic baseball coverage in the Athletic, I can tell you how to do that. You know, we just passed Mother's Day. But there's still time to buy a year of The Athletic for your favorite graduate or dad, uh, father-in-law, somebody out there for just $19.99 for the whole year. That's a year of The Athletic. You just have to go to theathletic.com slash gift sale and that $19.99 deal would be yours. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast every show. We pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again there is no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong except for questions about Cy Young seven years apart. (laughs) So how would you join us? You can email us like Grant did at Starkville at theathletic.com. That's Starkville with an E on the end. Or you can do what most people still seem to do. 
and that is hit us with these questions at what's left of Twitter. Doug, how would somebody find you on what's left of Twitter? <laughs> well, I do have a blue check still there. We, we, we've confirmed that. So, um, yeah, it's very magical. Uh, but I will just go with my name. Very boring. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Put the at in front of it. And there you go. Voila. Yeah. I'm no longer working my Twitter magic, but I still have an account. No, no. <laughs> Jason S-T. J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Please hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. Uh, also, I mean, Twitter's having issues. Feel free to email us. We love those emails. Plus, you can throw in all kinds of detail, testimonials to us, whatever you want. So, Starkville at theathletic.com. Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald for visiting us. Thanks to Grant Schiller for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you next week. Uh, Starkville! Starkville.